Every week, Andy Gullahorn goes for a walk. And every week, about a mile and a half away, his friend Gabe Scott does the same thing at the same time. They walk toward each other, and when they meet, it's the weirdest thing. You see that? Clap, snap, high five. Then, often, they simply walk home. The whole exercise, their way of saying hi. You realize people have telephones, and you can just call your buddy. You're right, we should have been doing that this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and picking up the phone is great, but I've got a friend who literally will walk through the rain and the snow just to give me a high five, and I wish everybody could feel that feeling. Andy and Gabe are musicians in Nashville. They met at a concert in 2000 and became friends. They got together on occasion, but not as often as they would have liked. So they invented this bit of silliness seven years ago as a way of guaranteeing they see each other at least once a week. So this is the High Five Journal. Andy has a log of every encounter, including the one that was nearly their last. It was High Five number 312. Gabe was hospitalized with a severe form of encephalitis. It caused his brain to swell and robbed him of his past. I pretty much forgot my life. Your whole life? Yeah. And that's when his buddy Andy, now a virtual stranger, came to visit. I said, well, Gabe, this is going to sound really weird, but I need you to do something for me. Give me a high five. And he was like, okay. When the moment happened, my body just did what it's been doing for years. <laughs> Clap, snap, high five. That was in September. Since then, a lot of his memories have returned, but few more cherished than this silly tradition, which doesn't seem quite so silly anymore. It's really special to have something, have a memory of something, to have something that's this consistent in my life. That means this much. Andy even wrote a song about their ritual. So take a walk with me on Monday morning. It's a reminder that going out of your way for someone is still the straightest path to an everlasting friendship. Knowing small things matter It's really no small thing Do you have a friend like that? Seriously, do you have a friend like that? I hate to say it, but I don't have very many friends like that. You probably don't either. But we should. We absolutely should. Um, some of us men, especially, we're really bad at getting close to other guys. We don't, uh, we don't do that very well. Right, Brent? Um, it's a big challenge for us. Because, you know, we're manly men, and we got to take care of our business, and we don't need anybody else, and we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And, man, we just fall into this trap of self-reliance all the time. And I have to tell you all, brothers and sisters, this morning, we're losing something in our churches. And I bet you'll probably agree with me. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you got it on your phone, you can look on there too. That's cool. We're going to read in verse 42. Please listen to the word of God. All the believers 
devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We're losing that in our churches today. We're so into our own selves and our own lives and our own way of doing things. And we don't follow Philippians 2. We don't consider the other, other person's interests ahead of our own. We're all about our interests, even in the church. And it's even a bigger challenge. I mean, used to back in the day, you know, everybody kind of went to churches that were close to wherever they lived. Uh, we live 35 minutes away from here. And some of you live that far, maybe even farther. And it's a challenge to truly have real community and relationships when, you, when it's hard and it's challenging to spend time with people. And we got our own busy schedules. We're all going 100 million different directions, and I'm guilty of it as well. So don't think I'm picking on you because I'm talking to me too. I mean, I think of the days of travel soccer and travel basketball and, and, and all the other things that our kids had going on in school. We were gone all the time, constantly. And it was a challenge, honestly, to try to make sure as parents we could do what we could to make sure our kids understood the main thing. If you've seen uh, that movie with Billy Crystal from a few years ago, you know what the one thing is. So, I, I, you know, that is that Christ is above all and over all and is all. And there's nothing else more important than that. And we can give good lip service to that, can't we? We can give really good lip service to that. I mean, we all would agree with that. But do our schedules match that? I don't think so. Mine doesn't. Yours probably doesn't either, if we're perfectly honest about that. I'm going to share with you the story. I don't know, anybody uh, um, ever heard of a video game called Just Dance? Anybody raise your hand? Anybody ever? Raise your hands. Okay. That doesn't mean you're getting the Holy Spirit or anything. Okay, thank you. Uh, okay. I mean, maybe you are getting the Holy Spirit. I'm not judging you. I understand. But I want to, I want to share something. This is a press release from uh, 2004, 2006. I can't remember. It has the date on here. Uh, from the introduction of the video game system where Just Dance became popular called the Nintendo Wii, okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to point to you and I want you to read some of the words. I didn't do the Jeff Walling thing of like making them a different color or anything like that. So it'll be kind of difficult and challenging, but I think we can pull this off. In the world of technology, there are two names that consistently impress me with their ability to mix innovation, humanity, and fun. Apple is one. By the way, here we are. 17 years later, and that's still a true statement. Apple is one. Nintendo's the other. Another characteristic they both share is influence far beyond that which their sales figures might suggest. Look at any list of greatest computer games ever, and Nintendo titles will be in the top ten. Just think Mario Brothers. There's about a million Mario Brothers games. For some time, Nintendo's been talking about releasing a new console, codenamed Revolution. Its main feature is a revolutionary new joypad 
which will work in a similar way to a television's remote control. For those of you who don't know, uh, if you're kids or grandkids or whatever has an Xbox or a PlayStation, the controllers are way different than a Nintendo Wii controller. It literally looks like a remote control for a television. It also has a strap on it because when they came out with Nintendo Wii, it, they came with free games like tennis and, and uh, some other things, baseball, and people were like using these controllers and they were slipping out of their hands and smashing into their TV. That probably happened at your house, Dave, I would imagine. If I had, yeah, you probably did that, I'm sure. Dewan's saying yes. So anyway. Um, and so I had to put straps on them so they wouldn't do damage at their own home. Yesterday, Nintendo announced the launch name of its next game console which, with this typically quirky and frustratingly brief press release, introducing Wii as in... Let me try that again. Wii as in... While the codename revolution expressed our direction... We represents the answer. We will, first of all, break down the wall that separates video game players from, okay, second, to put people more in touch with their games. Are you following this thought process yet? It's pretty cool. But if you're probably asking, you probably are asking, what does the name mean? We sounds like, which emphasizes that this console is for, we can easily be remembered by people around the world no matter what language they speak. There's no confusion. There's no need to abbreviate. We is just we. We has a distinctive I-I spelling that symbolizes both the unique controllers and the image of people gathering to play. And we as a name and a console brings something revolutionary to the world of video games that sets it apart from the crowd. So that's we. But now Nintendo needs you. Because it's really not about or it's about are you getting the point yet? And together we will we will change everything. One of the things that we're losing, brothers and sisters, in our churches, and, and I hope that I challenge you. I hope I don't like offend you or step on your toes to make you mad. But I want to challenge you because I think we need to recapture this in our churches today. And that means every single one of us, not the preachers, not the elders, not the ministry leaders, but all of us together. I know, Garrett, I want to go with the high school musical point, but I'm not going to do that, okay? Youth group gets that. No one else probably does. Here's, here's the first one, hospitality. What does hospitality mean? Hospitality does not mean Hello, Brother Brent. Welcome to the West Ark Church of Christ. Glad you're here today. And turn around and walk off. That is not hospitality. Okay? It might be a little smidgen of it. Hospitality, if I can embarrass them, is what Paul and Colleen Shirley do. You know what I'm talking about, right? They like go, it's like they're gathering the chicks for their hen house or something. Every Sunday, they're out there like trying to identify. And if you're a guest, uh, uh, they probably have done this to you or they've tried to do it to you and you might have kept them at arm's length. I don't know. Colleen can be pretty assertive, honestly, in this kind of a scenario. But they invite you into their life. They ask you to be part of what's going on. To them. I see some of y'all smiling because they've done that to you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They don't take no very well for an answer. Hospitality has two parts to it. The first part is this. It's welcoming in your family and your friends into your life, to live life with you. But there's another part of it that we don't really do very well, and that's to invite what the Bible calls strangers in our country or people that are not 
from our family or our tribe, if you will, into our lives and to associate with us and walk alongside them to share what we have with them. That's what real hospitality is. The second thing that we're losing is fellowship. Now, I don't know, maybe you're a much deeper thinker than me, and for those of you who don't know, most of my theology can be defined by the great philosopher of my time, Leonard Skinner. I am a simple man, okay? Uh, And and so I'm pretty simple-minded, and and that's how I just go a lot of the times. But the reality is, when I think of fellowship, I think of green bean casserole. And I think of cheesy church potatoes. My wife's church calls those funeral potatoes. I don't know why. That sounds horrible. But I I think of sliced ham. And I think of paper plates and napkins and people standing in line and, and, and dishing all this stuff out and just sitting down and having a good time. And I mean, that is fellowship, but that's not the sum total of fellowship. Fellowship is a participation in other people's lives. It's taking your life and setting it aside and participating with other people. Now, I know those of you that are introverted in the audience are going, that's my worst nightmare. And I'm sorry, but you're called to this as well. Uh, it's not just extroverts or people who are very friendly. My wife, those of you who know my lovely wife, Christy, who's in Texas with her folks uh, today, um, she is one of the most hospitable human beings that God ever created. And you talk about opposites attract because I'm not very hospitable a lot of times. Right, Cade? That's true. I'm just kind of not. So I'm not going to call you out like Larry did last week, just by the way, other than that. But, I mean, she loves to have company. I mean, she literally would have, Suzette knows, she would, she would have a party at our house every single day if she could. She, she gets all of her energy and all of her uh, uh, just motivation from being around other people. I mean, it's crazy. I, I got to have a break. I got to go sit on my John Deere lawnmower every once in a while and just like get my headphones in and listen to my Kenny Chesney songs uh, and, and ignore the rest of the world for a little bit just to kind of get my act together. But man, that's not how she rolls. And I'm not saying you got to be like her, although that's a pretty good person to be like if you want to be like somebody. But I'm saying that we have got to be in fellowship with one another. We, we need to spend time in each other's homes. We don't do that anymore. I remember growing up days, we used to have uh, uh, unofficial, it wasn't an organized church activity, but we used to go to other people's houses and like play nerds or play spades or play dominoes or just, or just get together and eat or you know, watch football games together, all, all kinds of different things. Why are we losing that? It's because we have allowed the pressing issues of the day to push out the important issues of the day, I think. And I want to challenge you to rethink that in your own life. I mean, and no, this isn't just a sorry plea to, for you to invite me to your house for dinner, okay? I'm happy to accept that, by the way, but that's not, that's not the point of this. True fellowship is living life together. And I realize for people like me that live 35 miles away, that's going to take some effort on my part. Okay, no excuses. That's what God calls us to. We are called to be a part of each other's lives. Community. It's funny, I've got several friends of mine that uh, are, are pastors of community churches in different parts of the United States. And you know what their biggest challenge is? Lack of community. That's, I, that's so ironic to me because that's what they have established, many of them for. I'm not saying they're all like that. But they will tell you that that's a big challenge for them. They'll tell you that they're an inch deep and a mile wide. And guys, as Christians and as Christian family, we just read it in Acts 2 
We can't be an inch deep and a mile wide. We've got to be a mile deep and a mile wide and growing. We've got to continue to bring in people and, and share with people and include people and not leave anyone out. Every person in here can relate to being left out. That's a horrible, horrible feeling. I hate being left out. I hate feeling left out. I hate that nobody thinks enough of me to try and include me in this or that. I don't like it, and you don't like it either. And it's up to us to make sure that we don't do that. We have got to be an active part of the community of believers that gather at this place. That means even when it's inconvenient sometimes for you to do so. Generosity. Generosity is a big part of what Acts 2, 42 through 47 is talking about. It's talking about taking what you have and sharing it with other people. And I think that's especially true. The, the story comes to mind, obviously, of uh, the widow lady that Jesus and his uh, disciples were watching in the temple. And she throws her, her two copper coins into the, uh, into the contribution for the week, if you will. And all these other people are putting in tons of money. And he's saying, you know, she gave more than anybody else because she gave all she had. That's what we're called to do, guys. That's the kind of people that we're called to be. Anything that you have is not yours. It's from God. Everything. Your houses, your cars, your money, your jobs, everything. Your clothing. Your direct TV subscription, like I have. I mean, that's not, that's not mine. Those things are from God, and we're called to share those things with people who are in need. And yeah, that means if you want to come over and watch a football game at my house, come on. You're invited. A standing invitation. I told Steve Allen a while ago, on September 11th this year, I'm going to be, for one day, I'm going to be a Razorback fan. Those of y'all that don't know me, I'm a big OU fan. And everybody thinks I hate Arkansas, and I don't hate Arkansas. I just feel bad for them mostly. But, but that day, except for my brother Scott Morris, who's probably, I don't see him here, so they may be watching, you know, everyone else will be united in this state because they're playing Texas that day. So anyway, had to throw that out there. Community of believers. So generosity is talking about the fact that we need to share what we have, even if it's something that we want, with other people that are in need. We've got to get our priorities. I mean, the, the theme of Soul Quest was upside down. In the, in the normal world, that makes no sense. Why would we share what we need with somebody else? Because God blesses that. That's why. Because God will bless us. Because we realize that we can and need to be dependent upon God, not independent from God. And from each other, I mean, we truly are family, and we're supposed to act like that and treat each other like that. Generosity, holy, that's kind of a church word that you hear a lot in church, of course. And holy is a, a word that's in the Bible, obviously, many times. It really means that we, as a community of believers, are set apart for a purpose that God has for us. And that purpose is to share the message of Christ with other people. Do you all know what the two greatest commands are? What's the first one? Somebody tell me. You can talk out loud. It's okay. To love God. In Mark, it says, with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, and all your soul. That's your whole being. What's the second command? Anybody? To love other people. All the law and all the prophets fall underneath that. Everything else is just execution, honestly. We've got to love God with everything. We've got to love other people as much as we love ourselves. Man, if we did that, the world would be a different place. There's no doubt about that. It would be a totally different place. But being holy is set apart for that purpose, and that's what God calls us to. Fearless. Fear is the second greatest motivator of all time. Do you know what the first is? Love. First Peter says, perfect love casts out fear. 
I mean, we sing that song, you know, whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies. I mean, he's right there with us all the time. And guys, we as a community of believers, we don't need to be afraid of anything. We need to look for opportunities to share Christ's love with people who are afraid and people who live in fear and people who don't feel included. We need to share and be generous with our hospitality and with uh, the, the possessions that we have, but also with the gospel message of Jesus Christ because that's the thing that saves us. Nothing else does. When we do that, we're going to grow. Maybe numerically, but you know when we're really going to grow is inside of, of ourselves. We'll grow and become more like Jesus and more like the people that God created us to be from the very beginning. I hope, that, um, I hope that the message today challenges you a little bit and, ask, and you ask yourself the question, am I living this out? Do I need to make some changes in my life? I, I hope the answer is yes, because I had not been to everybody's house here. See, again, I'm asking for invitations, I guess, but um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know that's cheesy, but it's true. And maybe you hadn't been to my house either. I'm not saying it's a one-way street. It's two-way street. Um, there's one other thing I want to share this morning that I want to challenge us on too that has everything to do with unity in the church because the last part of community is unity, as you can figure out. And that is that we've got this divide going on between generations right now. And there's always been challenges and tensions between generations for at least my whole life and probably before that. But you probably have heard maybe of uh, some older people, those of you that are younger, say things like, those Gen Zers and those millennials, they're a bunch of slackers. They can't, they don't work hard. They don't, you know, boy, if we ever had to go to war and they got drafted, we'd lose for sure because they're not tough and they're, they're just a bunch of wimps and blah, blah, blah. That's not good to say that. And it's insulting and it's condescending. And I wish, younger people, that I could say that that's a one-way street, but it's not. Because on the other hand, you've got, okay, boomer, okay, old man telling kids, get off my lawn, you kids. I mean, we say these things, and, and, and words matter. Words carry weight. Guys, we're supposed to come together. There's a, a great wisdom that comes from knowing older people. I challenged all the kids in my classes at SoulQuest to find some older people at their church, and you can define whether you're an older person or not, okay, to go and get wisdom from you, to sit down and go, hey, Let's have, let's have a cup of coffee sometime. Let's have a Coke together. I want to just find out what life was like when you were my age. And I guarantee, younger people, you'll learn more in that conversation than you will in six months sitting in church. Chris is a great preacher, and maybe he would debate that. But I'm just telling you, you'll learn incredible wisdom when you do that with older people. And older people, when you do that, guess what? Brent's up here drooling all over himself, and I mean that in all good senses, by talking about the excitement and the inspiration that it was to be around young people. Do you know how I can be an almost 60-year-old youth minister in the churches of Christ? It's because of that right there. That's where, I mean, I, dude, I'm so much closer to God because of the fact that I get to work with students and, and, and parents and even half the elders that are all younger than me because of the energy and the inspiration that I get from doing this. Because I know that it matters. You know, I don't preach very much. I don't really like to because um, I feel like I'm, I'm more of a teacher than I am a preacher. 
part of it is because I don't like the attention. I don't like being up here in front of everybody and everybody looking at me and judging me and whatever. And Scott's back there looking at me funny. But, uh, I, you know, it's, it's hard. maybe it's, I have a fragile ego. I don't really know what it is. But the truth of the matter is servants aren't supposed to get noticed like that. And I think we need to celebrate each other as the community of faith, not single out people that seem to be above everybody else. We need to let us all buy into the truth of being this community of believers and sharing all things together. We're going to share in a meal in just a minute called uh, the Lord's Supper, the communion, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I mean, a little cracker and a little grape juice is what we're going to partake of. And I'm just going to challenge you for a second as you, as you do that, uh, whenever whoever's come to, to offer the prayers up for that. As you do that and you hold that little piece of cracker in your hand, challenge you, yourself with this question. Is this, is this all of Jesus that you want? Is just a little pinch? Just a little, a little sample? Just a little taste of grape juice? Or do you want all of Jesus? I would challenge you with that today. Guys, let's start living as a community of believers at West Ark.